That yeah. itself is gross. Yeah, yeah. no, they did. I, That's exactly what happened. They were I married. Said that while yawning, can you say that? You need to edit that out. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our cold open right there. There you go. Thanks, Telsey. <laughs> Keeping up with the Coens, an OC rewatch podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keeping Up with the Coopers. I'm your host, Chelsea Trinidad. Here to join me today are my two very best friends and sometimes enemies in the whole entire world. First, Dylan Irwin. Hey, you know, I'm really excited to be on this show. Um, I feel like it's, it's a really big deal because we are the most popular show on FM radio. Um, but I'm mostly excited because I'm here with my best friend who I don't dislike at all. Um, Ryan Drake. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well. Chelsea, you did a great job, by the way. You killed that. That was so good. You did way better than when Dylan did it before. (laughs) Wait, was I like Marissa whenever she was uh, emceeing the fashion show on the first episode? Yeah, suspiciously good at um, uh, being an emcee. Yeah, you killed that. Great job. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah, I feel like you've already, Dylan, have taken the the whatever you're trying to do here too far <laughs> like oh it's not what do, what opposite. do you mean it's not mean? opposite it's not just the whole thing is opposite world some things are different all i'm saying is we live in a world an alt world where we host a show called keeping up with the coopers and fm radio is still a thing and podcast never took off i don't see what's so complicated but i can that. already foresee <laughs> for the next hour and a half you trying to make this into a bit that is dead already <laughs> i will only be doing it for at least 30 minutes. <laughs> it's like bizarro, uh, Dylan. Um, but yeah, like Chelsea said, this is uh, Keeping Up with the Cooper slash Coens, an OC rewatch podcast. And uh, we are deep halfway through season four. Um, wow. This is our halfway point. Like we are already halfway done. There's only eight episodes of, for, of our podcast this season. This is episode four of season four. Oh um, my God. It's been a long journey and we don't have too much longer to go. Kind of like if you're driving from Tulsa to Norman, we're basically in more right now. Just like Toby. No, Keith. no, we're not because we have a whole. We have a second half to go. Yeah, we're, we're like halfway in. there, no! Chelsea. But but no, we had three other seasons before. And this. her internet had dropped out again. That's her, her. Her internet <laughs> dropped out. She must be in more. That's oh. the bizarro part of this episode. <laughs> no, is I, her I, internet's I said, the problem. <laughs> I know. Well, no, I, what I was saying is, um, if, of course it is, because we've had three other seasons. Oh, you're right. You know what? You are correct, Chelsea. I take okay. it back. Mm-hmm. Great okay. job. Instead of uh, bullshitting for the next 45 minutes um, about Dylan's funny, hilarious bit that he's trying to push on all of us. <laughs> That's do you guys so want funny. To, uh, I'm very excited. To, I want to get into these episodes. Can we please talk about these episodes? Oh, you mean the Christmas episode that I watched two times in a row? Yeah. Let's start with that one, shall we? Let's do it. That is episode seven of season four, The Christmas, huh? That's good, right? That was a good read. I'm- uh, the Christmas, huh? Features Sandy Cohen on screen for nine minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, Dylan, tell me more. The Christmas, huh? Aired for the <laughs> first time on December 14th, 2006. That's four days before my birthday in the past. 
uh, 4.3 million people were watching this instead of planning stuff for my birthday in four days. It was written by J.J. <laughs> Philbin and John Stevens, two mainstays, if you will. And boy, howdy, does it show. Yeah, listen, there is so much to get into with this episode. I feel like I brought up this episode in season one as like yeah. one of the reasons this show is wonderful and great and this is one of my favorite episodes ever and this is this could this episode could only exist in season four because this season is weird and i just feel like there are so many ways i was trying to figure out the best way to cover it and i was like i could try to do the questions but the questions would all just be you know what would happen if this thing didn't happen or you know what i mean um yeah. so i decided to kind of go back backwards a little bit into a more alternate universe type of recap Ooh, <laughs> um, I, like, I love this bit i will start with uh the summary that i usually read off the top from the oc wiki it's not too wordy this time when ryan and taylor have an argument over where they stand with whatever relationship they have they both fall off a ladder while ryan is putting up christmas lights and both wake up in an alternate reality of what life is like had Ryan never come to Newport. Back in the real world, Seth tries to arrange his annual Christmas party and then tries to move, to move it to the hospital where the comatose Ryan and Taylor are. Also, Julie and Caitlin are planning to go to Riverside to meet Julie's parents, but get detoured when they try to stop the callous Veronica Townsend from leaving for the holidays. Um, also, I'm only just now learning that they were going to see Julie's parents in Riverside. I didn't know why they were going to Riverside, actually. Um, so this episode is is weird. Uh, this episode is literally, a lot of it takes place in an alternate universe. And let's start there. Do we believe this is an alternate universe, or is this just a dream sequence? How do we define this? I mean, Dylan's Dylan's more into the nerd stuff than I am, but like... What makes you say that? Be, it can't be a dream because they are both there. Aren't there dreams when this can happen? Aren't those like lucid dreams when you can control your dreams or you can like make yourself talk to other people? Isn't this the Matrix, basically? <clears throat> well, Ryan, I'm glad you asked. Lucid dreaming is when somehow your <laughs> conscious mind becomes aware of what your subconscious mind is doing, and therefore you can control the dream space. Now, what I think Chelsea is alluding to is this idea of the collective consciousness, where we can exist in other people's subconscious and be aware of it. So it's lucid dreaming plus one. All that being said, I totally think this is an alternate universe, 100%. I think that the OC is jumping on the metaverse train like 10 years before Marvel even thought to do it in the MCU, and 10 years before people who weren't massive nerds knew what multiverse stuff was. And so I'm all for team multiverse, and I love it. Um, I don't think it's like an alternate reality thing, because the second time I was watching it, I tried to unpack it a little bit too much, and then it stopped <laughs> making sense when I did that, and so I don't want to think about any of that, but it's full-on multiverse time. I want to try and break this down into two different things here. There's the alternate universe stuff and then there's the non-alternate universe stuff we're going to start with the boring non-alternate universe stuff um <laughs> which is we start this this uh episode opens with ryan in the kitchen with kirsten they have another fun scene and the <laughs> the checkoffs whatever you want to call it of this episode is this letter from marissa that's hanging over us the whole time that we're watching this episode. So I want to start with that because most of that takes place in the real world. Didn't we talk about how there was, wasn't there a letter sent by someone else that didn't get received until that person had died earlier this in the series? Didn't we have this already? Oh, um, Ugh. 
thinking, was it a Johnny letter? Oh, oh no, no, it was oh. Caleb. It was Caleb had left a letter for Kirsten. That's right. Right? Oh, That's right. And it's, in the, yeah. Okay. And it was and basically a, the same, it was like a forgiveness letter. Like, it's okay, let it go. Like, I'm, like, he wrote it to her before he passed away, obviously. <laughs> um, so, so, hold on, time out. I don't know if I've already made this remark, but technically it'd be a Schrodinger's letter. Because it's like you don't know if the cat's dead or not, and you finally find out if it's dead if you open up the box. So it's like a letter. It's Schrodinger's letter. You don't know if it's a Dear John letter until you open it. So that's what it is. It's Schrodinger's letter. But we knew it's from Marissa. I mean, it says from Marissa Cooper, um, which I felt like it was weird, almost weird for them to go back to that, to that well, back to like, oh hey, don't forget Marissa. And Especially she wrote considering it in pencil, how short this season is, and then it got lost in the mail for what? She died the night of graduation in May, and it's now Christmas. <laughs> this is why Trump was right about shutting yeah. down the USPS. So she allegedly... Also, it's weird that she would write him a letter and send it to him <laughs> while also knowing she's about to get in a car with him and drive to the airport, right? Like, <laughs> it's not like she left and then sent him a letter. She was with him. But, like, she never left. She died. Okay, that's a good point. Well, I mean, in uh, P.S. Well, he knew it was going to die. Never mind. <laughs> like, why would you not at least just leave him the letter? Like, do do like yeah. do what Seth does. Leave the letter, or he, like, it's weird that she would mail him a letter. Uh, all of that is weird. Feels kind of forced. Yeah, that is weird. Mm-hmm. But by the end of this episode, we learn that in this letter, I have the exact quote from Julie. Um, the letter, for, according to Julie, the letter says. Uh, she had to leave Newport. It was the only way they could move on with their lives. She loved him, but she had to say goodbye. And I just felt like this could have happened three or four episodes ago. Like the whole point, the whole letter thing just felt so out of place for this episode, I guess. But it was there. And do we feel like this is finally, finally, finally the closure that Ryan has needed? Okay, so hold on. You just got me thinking. And I was I was basking in the multiverse glory when I was watching this episode. And I didn't, didn't even realize this. We did already deal with the Marissa stuff as it relates to Ryan and Taylor, I thought. Like, it was already like, they already kind of had it out and talked. Am I imagining that? Is there a multiverse where that happened? I don't know what part that you were talking about. Like, there was just the scene where I think Taylor asked Seth, is Ryan ready to date again? And he said he didn't know, but I don't think they've ever really talked about Marissa up until now, I guess. For some reason, I thought that Ryan was just kind of like, okay, I got to move on. It's the only thing I can do. It's the healthy thing to do. And then they kind of, like you said, went back to the well. I could just be imagining that. The, another thing that I want to bring up, though, here is that since we're talking about all of this, and I feel like this is a big point of the episode, is that when they're in the alternate reality, we'll get to all that in a minute. But there's a part in what I think is an incredible scene, and I'm so glad it's a part of the episode, where Ryan thinks that Marissa might be alive in this world. Um, Taylor yeah. finds out some stuff. Taylor sees something and she thinks that Marissa's alive. She tells Ryan that Marissa is alive in the alternate world. And it's a, it's a fucking great scene. I remember watching that scene for the first time like, over Christmas break at my mom's house where he goes and like starts to like reach for her and you turn it and it's actually Caitlin. And there's that Sia cover of Paranoid Android, which fuck Radiohead, but whatever. Um, <laughs> that's such a great scene. And I'm glad that it's in the episode. But yeah. watching it this time around... When she te- when when Taylor tells Ryan about this, he gets up and leaves. And I was like thinking, doesn't Ryan basically kind of choose Marissa over Taylor at that point? He does. He he does. And like that whole scene, 
It was it was Inception. It was the scene in Inception where he's like, I'm going to live in this dream place with my wife, spoilers for Inception, with my wife that kills herself later and get old and then come out of the dream. Like, that's so not a good way to deal with things. Like, men will literally live in a multiverse <laughs> rather than go to therapy. Um, don't do that, guys. Just deal with your trauma. But if you're Taylor... I would be furious. Like, I'm not furious. I would guess I would understand. But at the same time, I would not continue going out with this guy who literally just chose his ex-dead girlfriend over me. And okay. he did what you just said. Like, he chose to live, presumably. I guess that could be a question I asked you. Do we think Ryan would have continued to try and live in this fake alternate universe had Marissa actually been alive? No, I think that he knew that it was always like, oh, we just have to fix something here and then we can go back to normal. I think that he always knew that. But I don't know, her dying in this, it, it was like big time machine energy where no matter if you could go back or whatever, it would still kind of have the same outcome. You already stepped on that butterfly, bro. I'm sorry. I, I like, <laughs> I feel like the way, so Ryan, the question you posed is, is that like basically a big F you to Taylor mm-hmm. if he was just going to reject her again? But Knowing the way that Taylor handles adversity, especially in this episode, I'm going to say no. This is an opportunity for Taylor to actually force Ryan to get that clarity that he would need with this pseudo-multiverse Marissa, almost like he can project his real Marissa feelings onto her. I think she would totally, completely take advantage of it. I mean, she shows up to the freaking airport and is standing right behind him when everything happens. I think she would be there and she would support him um, through it, knowing that she would win in the end. That was incredible how she just could kind of just show up whenever oh, she yeah. needed to show up. That's like, by an angel. part of the alternate universe that that can happen. Um, all right. I'm going to go back to the beginning now and then kind of we finish. We've gone down this path with the letter. Um, so it's raining or it's not raining yet. Uh, Ryan's hanging Christmas lights. Taylor comes over to give him a George Foreman grill, which is great gift. He was like kind of shitty to her about it. I thought he was being really rude to her. He's like, you take it back. He's literally saying like, you take this back. I don't want this. And that's what caused them to fall off the roof. Um, And it's raining at that point, which I believe is only the second time it's ever rained in the history of the show, right? There was the rainy day episode. And then this was the only two times it's ever rained in the OC. And they wake up and immediately the background music is like really cool and like kind of weird and kooky so you know something's weird especially because it's like sunshiny and then we see that like kirsten doesn't recognize him and we see the pool house is full of gym equipment for whomever i don't know who that's for his, his punching bag is still there though <laughs> that's great um and we get the the alternate reality intro which i probably used for the intro to this podcast um which is california <laughs> the cover by mates of state that um they put on the oc mix six i keep trying to say season six they could uh, they put on the oc mix six which was the covers album and one of the first things you notice in this episode is that there are some people first of all bullet is not in this episode um but we do see tate Tate is in this episode for the first time in God knows how long. Dylan, were you surprised to see Tate? Um, not only was I... Well, I'm always surprised to see perfection when I see it. Um, but I was enamored to see him again, especially in that wonderful fisherman sweater. Well, this is my question. So the, the pool house has... Uh, gym gym equipment in there and Seth's physique hasn't really changed. Jimmy equipment. Do, yeah, do we think Jimmy is like super jacked under there? <laughs> I like to think that in the alternate universe, Jim Jimmy is a bodybuilder. Yeah, a guy can dream. <laughs> yeah, that's CrossFit right. Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> 
that sounds like a shitty Marvel movie. Um, so we do have Tate, and we also, um, like, well, like I said, we'll get to the very specific parts of this alternate reality in a minute. But Che is in this alternate reality. He plays a part in this. He's like a total douchey guy that's dating Summer. And I was like, that should have been Luke, right? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Like, that Luke was the main part. And even Holly got to be in this episode. Yeah. Like, w- where was Luke? They don't even mention Luke, which I think is an even bigger crime. Because I actually had a note the first time I was watching it that said, how does how does Chester fit into this? And then, lo and behold, Taylor, like, explains the whole thing. But this was totally a Luke thing because this is kind of like when I said in the beginning that I I started thinking too much about it and it started slowly unraveling. But I was like, okay, why did Luke leave? Luke left because of X, Y, Z. Well, that event was caused by Ryan. This whole episode is if Ryan hadn't come to Newport, so therefore, and it just fell apart. But yes, Luke should have been a part of it, even though I did like Che's outfit. Um, I actually had that exact same outfit um, and I wore it around this time period. I think you had Che's haircut, too. I vaguely I remember you having that I was, when I first met you. I was like skinny, like skinny Che, like unhealthy, skinny looking Che. <laughs> that hair, man. Everyone had that haircut and it was bad. I do like to think about like what would happen. Like, would the outing of Luke's dad had happened the way it did without Ryan? Like, that's the whole point of this episode is like life. What would life be like without ryan in newport so it's like it's a wonderful life which they've yeah. done in several tv shows which i've they never seen before by rugrats i haven't either. really mm-hmm. no, i'm too jewish for that <laughs> let's watch it together oh should we do a re- <laughs> do a commentary episode of it's a wonderful let's life do- it's a wonderful yeah. minute <laughs> <laughs> ryan has an excuse but like dylan what, like what's his excuse protestant i he he's jewish yeah. so he doesn't have to watch typical christmas movies thank you chelsea <laughs> so before again I want to just talk real quickly about Taylor and Ryan. Their chemistry in this episode, I feel like, is incredible. Spe- like yes. Taylor is obviously... I actually did go back and like, read some reviews and forums and stuff from around this time about this episode and the uh, next one I'm about to cover. And there were some people complaining that Taylor had basically taken over this show. But I welcome it. I think she's great. I, she she is getting a lot of screen time. I wish maybe I should do a Taylor screen time for the next couple episodes. But uh, Ooh, she is getting a lot of screen time. But it's to me, it's all great. It's all beautiful and perfect. She kept having. She had this like reoccurring like joke throughout the episode where she where even where they were like trying to figure out how to get out of an alternate universe, she kept saying something like, "I'm sure you'd rather be here with someone you'd actually want to date." And I loved it every yeah. time she said that. Um, yeah. And Ryan even had a great line where she was like, "I think I know how to get us out of here." And he's like, "Oh, does it involve me dating you?" <laughs> that was that was really, uh, yeah, that, that was, was really, really funny. funny. I love them together. Like I love their chemistry. I love them together. I I'm sad that it took the show this long to put Ryan with somebody fun. Yeah. Um. The other thing is that there are no stakes to this coma, it feels like. Like, no one's really yeah. concerned about them, really. They're just like, yeah. they'll be fine. They'll wake up. They're like, they'll just wake up. Yeah. Kirsten seems very <laughs> concerned about her ham. Way more concerned about her ham okay. than of the kids. Maybe we don't have to spend too much time on it, but I want to break down this ham story. Um, first, I want a ham guy. I don't know what that, who that is or what that would entail. But, okay, I feel like there was a deeper joke that I just didn't get because they lingered on the picture of the ham and and Kirsten said, are you sure this is a Virginia ham? And then it just lingered on it. 
Is there like someone out there who knows a lot about ham that just lost their mind? I wonder if there was like some topical thing that we just don't remember that that was making a reference to. Because I know I did notice the same thing. I was like, why would they just put the whole camera on this ham for like? What's the deal with this Virginia ham? No, I agree. Yeah, it was a weird. It was a weird sub sub subplot of this episode is the ham. Kirsten was very concerned. There wasn't a lot of concern over Ryan and Taylor, and they just all seemed like, yeah, they'll be fine. There was... Taylor goes through some stuff in her dream slash alternate universe. We'll get there in a minute. But there's a part of this episode that involves Caitlin and Julie trying to get a hold of Taylor's terrible mom, Veronica. And there was some great dialogue there. I kind of... I've come around to Veronica. I really like her. I think she's a great character. (laughs) She's great. When she got mad that Taylor was awake and she was like, and you can even walk, I was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty funny. And when she thought she was in the hospital for anorexia or something. Yeah. She's she's like mean Taryn. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she is a quintessential noopsie, I feel like. But there, I do feel like this episode is kind of just as important. I mean, the whole episode centers around what would happen if Ryan never went to Newport, just like everyone's universe in this show seems to revolve around Ryan. I did feel like this episode is also really important for Taylor and like her kind of development. And we learn that they both have a thing that they need to do in order to get back to the real world. Is that like a typical trope of alternate reality, Dylan? No, that's more of a ghost thing. I've, I've never seen a multiverse thing where it's like you have to complete some... Oh, wait, hold on. I mean, you could kind of say that about... I feel like the most famous multiverse movie recently was Into the Spider-Verse. And did they have to complete a task before they went back to their respective realities? You're asking the wrong people, Dylan. You know we don't know this. Listeners, or <laughs> listeners who are screaming at your, at your boards, I feel like they just have to find a way home. And that's kind of what they have to do. But this whole idea that there's a task I have to complete or a lesson I have to learn that's integral to my individual character, that's a ghost mm-hmm. thing. It's like, oh, God, I'm dead, okay. but I'm not passed on. What do I have to do? Oh, yeah, I have to forgive that old woman for boiling my dog. And that's what you do. <laughs> okay. Here's my, here's my next kind of question, though. And I know I, I keep saying we'll get to that stuff. We will get to that stuff. But like Taylor's thing was that she had to kind of not forgive her mom, but like get over her mom's shittiness and just kind of not let that bother her anymore. I guess that was the thing that kind of sent her back into consciousness. Um, This whole episode, I feel like we're kind of led to believe that the thing Ryan needs to do is like a very different type of thing. He needs to actually get couples to break up and make up and get people back together. But then I don't know if he accomplishes that they try I don't know if it's accomplished and we never see the outcome of that. Instead, what we see is Ryan finally reads the letter and then now he's back. So I'm thinking Ryan's whole purpose was to just move past the Marissa thing, not all the other stuff, right? They they both mistakenly thought that their purpose was to get everything back the right way. Um, in true Taylor and Ryan fashion, they thought that in order to be worth anything, they had to do something for others and help others. But it was only the realization that they had to do something that was very personal to either one of them um, to get out of that funk. And so I don't think I think that was a red herring. I think that Taylor from the outset had to learn how to stand up for herself and to just get right with her relationship with her mom. And Ryan had to just shut up about it, deal with his trauma uh, with Marissa and read the letter, which is okay. 
the letter itself is something that and Ryan tell if you're going to talk about this later then we can we can move it but the fact that the letter exists in both worlds is that what you're trying to talk about yeah and yeah. <laughs> did the letter that existed that Ryan read in the multiverse was that letter and maybe this is me getting too weird about the OC but if it's existing in his subconscious that means that that letter says what he has known all along but has been too afraid to tell himself so i don't think it matters what the real letter says because the fake letter told ryan what he needed to hear wow he told himself what he needed to hear to move on we're going with a fake letter you think it was a fake letter theory you think ryan made up his own letter and that's what helped him move past it oh no i think there was absolutely a real letter and there was um, julie is the one who, who read the letter but i think that ryan whatever he read in the letter it may have not been the same thing, may have not been the exact same thing. I think it was something that his subconscious gave to him to help him move on. Because, I mean, that's how we move on from trauma. Oh, this is great. This is like some lost level shit. I love this. We <laughs> yeah. might be talking about yeah. the letter too much, but like he didn't read the letter. And he, I don't think the letter even existed in the alternate universe until Kirsten physically put it like next to him in the coma mm-hmm. bed in the real life. So I don't know if that's a thing or not a thing. I don't know. All right. Let's let's get into it. Let's get into some shit here. Yeah. This is what the OC is telling us canonically what the world, right? I do believe that we are supposed to believe this is canonical what the world would look like had Ryan never come to Newport, right? This isn't just one person's interpretation. Correct. Okay, this is what the world of the OC would look like if Ryan had never come to Newport. I'm going to start small and just say that if you notice there was a poster in the uh the outdoor Johnny mall Harper. area that Johnny Harper is a surf star he's very much alive and he's a surf star on the Pac West tour so starting off hot Ryan according to the show is responsible for Johnny's death no it wasn't Ryan it was Marissa but Marissa was dead no Marissa died in Tijuana though yeah before she met uh, before she met Johnny Okay, let's unpack oh, this. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I, I like yeah. that. That makes sense. So Marissa never went to that high school, so yeah. he stayed on track. Yeah, Marissa got kicked out of Harbor because of Ryan. Then Marissa had to go to public school, therefore, because of Ryan. She met Johnny at that school because of Ryan. And then mm-hmm. all the turmoil was because of her relationship with Ryan. So, yeah. I guess it depends on how far you want to split hairs, but I do think that, yeah, there's a point to be made there that Marissa was... Anything that happened after Marissa died could be considered kind of because of Marissa, especially when Sandy makes it a point at the end of the episode to say that, like, everything fell apart after Marissa died, so... Yeah. Um, We'll start there. Johnny is alive in this world. Um, I just have some notes here. Sandy is the uptight mayor of Newport Beach, and he's married to Julie Cooper. He thinks that Ryan is stalking him and his family. Um, there's a quick sh- quick shot of him hanging out with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we later learn that Sandy only married Julie to mastermind his political career. What do we think I didn't of this? get this one. What do you not get? I, well, this one, didn't, this one didn't vibe with me because Ryan did not change who Sandy was. Ryan became a part of the family because of who Sandy was. I Sandy don't think changed Sandy... who Ryan was way more than Ryan changed who Sandy yeah. was. Yeah, so, I agree. I so if if this whole th- if this whole idea is that Marissa there are two different kind of focal points there are two turning points here <laughs> two kind of the timelines yeah there are two of them there's there's Ryan not existing that's one but then two the statement from Sandy that everything became static and stagnant after Marissa died so in a way we have to look at the characters kind of stripped of their Ryan influence at that time in season one. And at that time in season one, there was nothing that would indicate in any way that Sandy was 
you know, gonna, I don't know, do anything other than keep being Sandy Cohen. Um, if anything, I think he would be more Sandy because he would no longer be with, with Kirsten. And I, I just, I didn't really get the whole Sandy as mayor thing. I, I thought that it, it also was more evidence that that character was supposed to be Luke if Julie was hooking up with him. Che's character. Yeah, actually, yeah. No, we'll get to Che in a second. No, no, I, I, no also, matter but the I completely agree with that. No, that's real. Um, all right. Kirsten mm-hmm. is married. To Jimmy Cooper, Tate makes his triumphant comeback <laughs> in this in this episode, and they have, I guess, what seems like a normal marriage, way more so than Julie and Sandy. Like we know that they have a, a history in real life. Um, it was great to see Tate. Kirsten seems. This goes back to what we said a few weeks ago about how Kirsten was portrayed as this ice queen before Ryan came along. Like this is kind of. I guess what the show is trying to show us. She is kind of an asshole. Tate mm-hmm. is also kind of an asshole, and I say that because they both. <laughs> like made fun of seth like they both had such mean things to say about seth like kirsten said something about how surprised she was that seth had a friend and then at one point they're talking jimmy and kirsten about where seth is and jimmy says something like i don't know probably stalking summer roberts and i was like these are shitty parents it's like that's not even your kid what are you doing so yeah you can't make fun of your stepkid yeah and so okay so something else that we that we have to talk about again going back to it's after she died in Tijuana and Ryan's not here. So under that, that means that Jimmy was still money laundering. Mm-hmm. Jimmy still got his ass beat at Cotillion. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how if Kirsten was such a people pleaser, or excuse me, a father pleaser with regard to Caleb, how she managed to talk Caleb, who is presumably still alive, because oh, Julie, interesting. I never even considered where Caleb would have been in this. Yeah, episode. because Ju- Julie wouldn't have, you know, Julied him. So, well, he died of natural causes. Yeah, like, and I don't even think he was particularly stressed in the moment. But that being said, Ryan did cause him to have like a heart. In- he kind of egged him on to have a heart attack. He did. Right? In season two, he did. Ryan, Ryan did cause a heart attack. Yeah. Ryan's a pre-existing <laughs> condition for Caleb, but that no longer exists. And so the question is. If Jimmy is still Jimmy, not Tate, but Jimmy, he's Jimmy when he's bad, he's Tate when he's good. So if Jimmy is still Jimmy, then how did Kirsten talk her father, who she worships at the Newport group, into being like, yeah, I'm divorcing Sandy, your, your grandson's father, and marrying that guy that just defrauded most of Newport? And letting him look at my money. No, Caleb doesn't like Sandy. That's the thing we learned in season one. They are not on great terms most of Shalom, the time. Sandy. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So that's Stanford. So that's Kirsten and Jimmy. Seth. Let's talk about Seth here. He is the most egregious, like, uh, version of Seth that I think. Sad boy. I generally <laughs> don't like Seth. I think he's been okay in this season, but this episode. If this were the version of Seth we got the whole series, I would have stopped watching the series after like three episodes. Yeah, none of us would have watched <laughs> he it. He was, it was a ugh. nightmare. Um, I was Seth is a socially awkward geek. He gets bullied by Luke's brothers, which was a great scene. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and he is, I think, legitimately stalking Summer. 100%. This is not at all the same Seth that we met in episode one. I guess we're led to believe that he kind of goes from there and evolves or devolves into what we see in this episode. (laughs) Um, There's a scene where Ryan's upstairs with him and Seth is literally just laying face down on his bed yelling, I hate my life over and over again. And I was like, I fucking hate, I hate this version of Seth. And it made me forgive 
the version of Seth we've seen the first three seasons because I was like, it could be worse. So Ryan, I think that what's interesting here is that Ryan actually tells him the total truth. Ryan tells him, I'm from an alternate universe and this is what's going on and this is what needs to happen. And Seth just buys into it. He's like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. And Ryan gives him advice on how to woo Summer um, that involves talking about, you know, Princess Sparkle and Captain Oates and the Valley. The, and, the extent uh, of Ryan's knowledge about Summer. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> He's, this is apparently all it takes to get to Summer. We'll get to Summer and Shay in a second. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that was the version of Seth that we got in this episode, and I hated it. But we also got a Seth yeah. who got into Brown and also somehow still owned a comic book shop during, I guess, Christmas break. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think Seth is better off... You know, even not, even without going to Brown, Seth is in a much better place with Ryan than he was without Ryan. Yes. Yeah, hundred percent. I can uh, now see why he ran away at the end of season one. If he that's have, what he, he was going to become. Away. Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's bad, and it's kind of weird that he's like legitimately stalking Summer. Um, Summer, who I believe has the outfit of the episode. Oh my gosh, that look was amazing. The headband, the weird braids, the uh. She was wearing, like, a juicy suit with, like, uh, I mean, pretty sure she was wearing Uggs with those and, like, a juicy purse. Like, that was fantastic. She looks so comfy. She looked incredibly comfortable. <laughs> um, we get Summer. We don't have Marissa. If we remember back to the first half of season one, Summer was a different character than what we have seen over the last few years. She wanted a hot box. <laughs> she was more this character that we're seeing now. And I guess the death of Marissa... Did not change anything for her. She just continued on down this path and to become like, is she even becoming a noopsie or is she just becoming something completely different altogether? I feel like she's just becoming like an almost cartoonish version of who she was in season one, much like Seth is. Um, yeah. And, well, and it's supposed to be like she's kind of like a mini Julie. Yeah. Yeah. But, but no, you're right. That is a good point. It's like you'd think that if her best friend ODs in Tijuana, that mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe just maybe she would not engage in the same behaviors that said OD'd friend engaged in when they were together. <laughs> um, also, I'm backing up a little bit. So I guess that Julie and Tate were married and then they got a divorce and they wife swapped. Is that what we're led to believe? They were married up until the point where Marissa died, apparently. And then they continue. I mean, they were getting divorced anyway um, and they got divorced, but it's just from what, what happened from there. We don't know. It makes Um, me wonder who'd filed the divorce with Sandy and Kirsten. We don't fully understand the story of how their marriage really fell apart. I mean, all Sandy says is it goes back to when Marissa died and that's it. That's the only kind of resolve we get in this weird episode oh i know what it was i can trace the genesis because remember when they go to tijuana kirsten is helping jimmy paint his apartment and he kisses her oh, oh. wow yeah that's a because great that point. that would have been canon up until that point because marissa was still alive I, at that point as much as i want this to be a multiverse and this is the closest i'm going to get to a comic book minute guys you gotta you gotta you gotta i'm so excited <laughs> it's like in the star trek the cinematic star trek movies (laughs) why you can have the prime timeline and the alternate timeline the jj timeline and it's because of one single moment and so everything before that single moment you know when spock goes through the black hole thing when he's being chased by eric banna yeah come on guys 
it's like they actually draw, I think, a diagram in Star Trek where it's like, here is the moment, here is the timeline continuing on, and here's the timeline branching off into another timeline. But everything before that is still, it happened. It's all happening. It's all canon, which is why I'm so confused. Are there two different timelines and where do they intersect? Because it's like everything happened, everything went bad when Marissa died, but also Ryan's not here. It's like, what's going on? I like to think. Like, I wonder what Ryan being in Newport had to do with Sandy be like forgiving Kirsten for letting Jimmy kiss her. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is if that is the situation. So a lot going on here. So we meet Summer. She she's a mindless narcissistic party animal. She's yeah. engaged to Chester Winchester. It's a great name. Um, who's having a fling Ooh. with Julie, who I believe is a sex addict. Um, Summer is best friends with Holly. They do a wonderful ice ice baby dance that I watched a, a, like a hundred times. And Taylor is on the case when she sees that something's going on with Shay. She's the one who finds out that they're having that he's having an affair with Julie, or that Julie's having an affair with him. Zoinks, and everyone! She, I, there's a great scene where she's in the woods, and I was like, she looks like the Kim Kardashian meme of her, of her just in the forest or like in the trees. <laughs> so she finds out that they're hooking up. There's a crazy makeout scene between Melinda Clark and uh, Chris Pratt. Like they're getting very handsy, very tonguey, and very he's touchy. barking. Yeah, they're like spanking each other. It's a whole thing. Is it any coincidence that in the same episode where we see Chris Pratt as he is today, we also see a picture of his father-in-law with the father figure for the OC? That's actually pretty interesting. That's a good point. That's an interesting point. Good job, Dylan. Proud of you. Okay. We learned that uh, there have there have there's a bunch of affairs. That's where Taylor finds out that Marissa is alive? Question mark. And then she tells Ryan. Ryan chooses Marissa over Taylor, which would infuriate me. We find out it's not really Marissa. It's actually Caitlin. Caitlin is apparently like a prodigy student who gets to go to college eight years too early or something. This all culminates at this party at it's at kirsten's house right it's not kirsten and Thini's house it's at kirsten and tate's house right culminated to this party at the i guess the cooper's house now mm-hmm. where taylor and ryan are on what they think their mission is to fix all of the problems they need to break up che and summer they need to get summer with seth they need to break up sandy and julie kirsten and tate and they need to get every everything needs to get fixed and so they go they do it in these weird in these weird ways taylor's mission is to get the adult couples back together so she talks to, to kirsten and pretends that she works for sandy and that he cries about missing his ex-wife all the time um he goes to sandy pretends that he works for the newport group and kirsten and talks how much she talks about the mail truck all the time and how do they get che oh ryan just somehow waves the magic wand and gets che and summer to break up and uh seth does one brave thing i guess and suddenly everything's back the way it should be i don't know (laughs) there's a great scene where ryan's talking to julie and he says there's a guy that wants to meet you in the bathroom he said something about a thong and she's like oh thong is an acronym for the homeless of newport go (laughs) it's like that's pretty good also while this is happening taylor sees her mom her mom is at this party and her mom is berating her but her is actually a him because taylor is a boy in this alternate universe and i didn't fully understand this like like we talked about what's going on in the real world with taylor's mom in this version she doesn't change anything all she does is call her mom a bitch and then that's it her mission is over is that what we're supposed to believe all i know is i want a fan fiction of the adventures of Taylor and Taylor. 
The two Taylors. Like, yeah, the Taylors. I want to show about the Taylors. The, the Lord of the Taylors. The two Taylors. That, that's the episode title. The I, two um, But again, this is kind of going back to hers, I don't think, is as deep and philosophically you know, inclined as, as Ryan's whole idea of forgiving himself and moving on is. I almost think it's like, you know, when you look at Ryan's, and Ryan's letter and Ryan's hangups about Marissa. I feel like that was the big thing holding him back from moving forward. Just like you have in this alt world, Marissa's death is holding everyone back and keeping them from moving forward. So I'm trying to find the parallel for for Taylor. And with Taylor, I don't think it's as aggressive as it is with Ryan and Marissa and you know getting over Marissa. I almost feel like Taylor is being held back um, by this this kind of insatiable need to be a people pleaser, kind of that codependence that comes with having an overbearing and unkind parent. And so in order for her to move forward and be the best person she can be and be the best person she can be for both herself and for Ryan, she had to kind of come to grips with that and just deal with her mom. So I feel like the theme, the ongoing theme is what is it that is keeping everyone stagnant, that is keeping everyone in place. And for the characters, it's Marissa's death. For Ryan, it's Marissa's death. And for Taylor, it is being a people pleaser as a result of having an overbearing mother. That's what I think. It makes sense. It just felt very like, oh, she called her a bitch. Now everything's fine and she can go back to reality. Um, That's what (laughs) happens. Sometimes it's that easy. (laughs) There's a good scene where where um everyone's like well you need to explain yourself to ryan and taylor and ryan just looks at her and he goes taylor take it away basically and then she disappears so they're all looking at him julie shows up with the police and ryan goes to jail (laughs) ryan tells them what they need to do he basically says like you don't need to be with him you need to be with him you don't need to be with her you should be with him whatever and he ends up going to jail and sandy bails him out and then after that is when Ryan just decides he's going to go read the letter, which none of that really makes sense. A lot of this episode doesn't make sense. There are holes everywhere. But that part in particular was like, at least show us, did Ryan have any effect on this or did everything go back to normal in alternate reality? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there was no real resolve there. <laughs> it just Ryan goes, no, I'm not going to have dinner with you. I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to go read the letter at the weird pier that we forgot about. Sad pier, sad beach, sad girl pier. So Ryan reads the letter. And now he's back. He wakes up. Everything is fine and good in the world of the OC. And my final question to you in regards to this episode, and I'm sure we can talk more about it if you want, but what is this episode important at all? Did anything happen in this episode in the grand scheme of things? Yes. Okay. I assume, knowing nothing about the future of this season, I think this episode was essential because Ryan finally is able to move on and move forward from all the Marissa stuff. And I was thinking about my comment earlier about, haven't we already resolved this? No, the only thing Ryan has resolved is his beef with Volchok or Gidget, or I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce his name anymore, but his beef with Gidget has been resolved. Now his beef with Marissa's death has been resolved. And now he has a George Foreman grill and no beef. So I think it was very important. But um, that's my take. I just love this episode. It was a fucking great episode. I love watching it. But after it was over, I was like, there was no progression in any storyline except for maybe Ryan could move on with Taylor now. But other than that, 
literally nothing happened because when the next episode they show you previously on the OC, it's all stuff that happened now two episodes ago because nothing happened in this episode, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's it. That's one of my favorite episodes of this of this show of all time. Also, this is by the way a Christmas episode, which I guess is a fun backdrop to all of this. But uh, yeah, it's a weird one, and I'm glad that we got to talk about it, and I'm glad that Dylan finally got to see it. Oh, and so do you guys have any other things that you want to say about it? I know we said this a few episodes ago, but it really leans into the kind of weird, absurdist, fun vibe that this whole fourth season has, which I really appreciate. And we're going to get even more of this in the following episode. Yeah. I am. Um, I thought that Summer actually had an amazing imitation of a large swath of our listeners um, with this line. Who is this random guy we're all listening to and why am I not drunk yet? So great job on that summer. We love you <laughs> listeners. The only other line I was going to shout out for this was that um, Julie said something about wine coolers going to and uh, going to Riverside and Caleb was like, oh, wow, we're having a very Britney Christmas. Yes. But then and then Julie followed up by saying, you better be careful or I'll have you ride in my lap on the drive over. And so it was just pop culture heaven. It was a fun one. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's it. I think we've covered it. I think that covers everything from the Christmaca. Christmaca. So that will get us in to episode number eight of season four. The Earth Girls are easy. Uh, the Earth Girls are easy feature. Sandy Cohen on screen for five minutes and 49 seconds. Before I throw to you, Dylan, I just want to say, we said the outfit of the episode was Summer's juicy suit. I think the music moment of the, of the previous episode has to be the, the cover of California in the in the intro credits. Anyway. Dylan, tell me about the Earth Girls Are Easy. Well, according to uh, Jeff Goldblum and Jim Carrey, Earth Girls Are Easy all the time, but they are especially (laughs) easy on December 21st, 2006, at least in the mind of 4.15 million viewers. This was written by, I think, a newcomer, Mark Fish, um, which is also a command. Uh, So that's kind of (laughs) cool. Let's get into it. That's pretty good. Ryan really liked that one. I did. Um, So I like this episode. It was really easy to just kind of break out into two different um, storylines. We really just had uh, the kids' world and the adult world. Uh, This episode is fun. This episode was so much fun. I I thought it was awesome and fun, and I almost ran out of time to watch it because instead, as I said, I watched the Christmas episode twice. But um, this episode was not only fun, but it has a pretty big bombshell at the end of it. Like yeah. a huge bombshell that I actually was listening to and glancing down at um, whenever I would stop at stoplights. And I almost accelerated whenever the proposal came. And so that's another reason why I was almost late. <laughs> that's why I said that like Seth doesn't have a lot going on this season, but he does have like one big kind of major storyline slash moment in this season. And this was it. Anyway, Chelsea, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, well, and it's the exact opposite of the episode before where we're like, oh, it was really fun and interesting, but did it propel the storyline? Uh, probably not. Yes. This one completely does. Um, so the episode starts and it we, you know, catch that it's almost New Year's Eve. And while Ryan and Taylor have big plans, uh, Seth and Summer are feeling like they're in a big rut. And they're just planning on kind of hanging out at home uh, watching TV. Specifically, she asked Seth, do you have plans? And he got her like... I don't. I didn't really understand this. He got her like an ironic T-shirt that said "Jamaican me crazy," right? And he said it's funny because it's not. Yeah, it was so stupid. What? Like this was the same set as the previous episode, alternate reality, I think. But it was all worth it 
for Summer's incredible joke that I forgot about and laughed at for about 10 straight minutes. I'm not kidding. You didn't make any plans for us tonight, did you? Well, I thought we would just... What? Did you make them up as you go? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, Mark Um, Fish. Yeah. So so kind of for that first uh, segment, you know, my two questions are... Um, why do we think Ryan and Taylor were kind of putting such a big emphasis on this holiday? And of all places, why did they want to go to Vegas where they're not even legal to do anything interesting and where his brother that Ryan probably doesn't really want to see lives? Um, so that's kind of part A of the question. And part B is like, do we think that it's kind of too early for Seth and Summer to be feeling in that big of a rut? And just kind of like, (laughs) when did you hit that ultimate like comfort level with your significant other and when is like an appropriate time to kind of hit that like okay we're not doing anything kind of i to take the first part of your question i haven't been with my significant other long enough to have been in a rut yet but we'll see that's probably coming soon um but to the first part of your question at least i i like that ryan i feel like since since we talked since we talked about this big kind of release that ryan has had as far as um his trauma the marissa trauma from the last episode he's like I feel like he is now in the zone where he can be fully back to normal. And I think there is sometimes, there are just days, I feel like most of the time at this age, we we are like, I just want to fucking chill out at home, relax, whatever. But then there are some nights where you're like, I fucking, I just want to go party, right? Like, I want to go rage a little bit. And I feel like Ryan's yeah. just having one of those. And he's like, you know what? I've I've come a long ways. A lot's going on. I'm with this new girl. And I just want to go rage. I forgot about the tray part. The tray part's a great point. I didn't even think about that. But I, I loved Ryan just being like a horny dude in this episode because he just wanted to fuck, I think. He really wanted to fuck because whenever they have the gas station scene later on, <laughs> when they have the gas station scene later on, Taylor tells him like, oh, we shouldn't tonight. And Ryan gets like mad and he's like upset about this. And I was like, you know what, dude? I get it. He's a dude. He's just a dude that wants to hook up with his girlfriend. And especially someone who's so excited to hook up like Taylor is. Yeah. <laughs> so part A regarding why there's it's such a big deal is I mean this is you know kind of like Ryan said this is this is Ryan Atwood's first kind of well life is normal now I had my multiverse trip now let's just rock and roll and two I'm pretty sure that you know I mean I'm not pretty sure I 100% know that this is his first major holiday um, with this new quote unquote girlfriend and it's New Year's Eve it's according to Leslie one of the most romantic holidays of the year so it's my wa- favorite holiday. To- yeah, he wants to nail that. He wants to get it down. He wants to find out how Anna knew Oliver and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but also, but- don't forget that in season one, Ryan was the one that was like, I don't want to do anything for New Year's Eve. I just want to stay in with Marissa because he thinks that's protecting her on some level. But like, so it is a pretty stark contrast. And I think that just proves how much f- more fun and better he is now without Marissa, to be honest. <laughs> no, I was I was going to agree with a lot of that. Like, I think, I think you had it uh, perfect, Ryan, when you said that uh, Ryan was ready to go to Pound Town. Oh, yeah. I think he was. I think he was like, this is great. This is a fun holiday. This is a couple's holiday. You know, and Taylor was obviously really excited about it, too, which is why she got the lingerie. And that's why Ryan was like, okay, let's go out of town so we have a good place to hook up that isn't Julie's house or my parents' house. Let's talk about butt stuff. And then um, Seth and Summer, I think that what qualifies them as being in a rut versus, say, me and Alex or Dylan and Leslie, who are genuinely like, okay, it's New Year's Eve and I don't want to party, um, is that Summer is not excited about it she's not on that level she wants excitement the difference is that and this is kind of the show's fault and the writing fault is that through the first part of the season 
Seth was kind of doing the right thing by not doing anything for summer, if that makes sense. Like we talked mm-hmm. about it, like his plan was to do nothing. I'm going to give her a week of nothing. And it was kind of the right thing for summer. But just now he's continuing to do nothing. And now it's like not the right thing for summer, I guess. I don't know. But so in summers, from summer's perspective, Seth isn't putting enough effort into this relationship. And he has a way to put effort into it now. It's New Year's Eve and he's still not doing it, I think. Um, So my next question is, when we were kind of led to believe that Taylor was the one who was worried about her period and might be pregnant, um, did you assume that her and Ryan were hooking up already? Because I was, I was, for a second, like, I mean, I, I forgot what had happened in this episode. Um, Just, you know, I was like living in the moment or whatever. And I was like, that's weird that they would have, have had sex and not like made a bigger deal about it, you know? And I also thought it was weird that Taylor, like, like, you know, she looked up in her planner. So a normal person would think, oh, she was looking up when her last period was. But then when it was revealed that it was Summer's, like how weird that Taylor wrote down Summer's period in her planner. That's part of Taylor's like neuroticism that we love. That's part of, that's like such a Taylorism for her to keep track of her friends, like cycles. I feel like that's part of what makes Taylor Taylor. Um, yeah. It, I didn't think it was that. I thought that the show had moved to the point where they're like, oh, guess what? They're out of high school now. So it's not as big a deal to, to like have sex with your girlfriend. So I didn't think that it, I didn't think they would have made a big deal out of it had Ryan and Taylor been hooking up already. Um, I just kind of assumed that they had been, I guess. Taylor's reaction to Ryan being like, whenever she was like, yeah, it's my pregnancy test. I might be pregnant. And Ryan saying, well, what's going on? Are you like sleeping with other other people? Like, I think that was totally reasonable based on the timeline. Um, and I thought, well, her no, that's over- another. I think that was another funny like Taylor Taylorism. Like, yeah, the whole you think I'm a whore thing was just. So I'm really gonna act funny. like one. Yeah, that was just really funny. It seems incredibly. It seems like a real. It definitely does seem like a thing like a girl <laughs> would like say and be upset about. But I thought it was mm-hmm. funny because it, it it resolved itself pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it just asked what I know is that argument just escalated really, really quickly, but it was a Taylor thing. Um, okay. So I'm a little bit confused just about, you know, I thought the alien party was really cool and I see why they referenced area 51, but like, we're not, they like area 51 isn't on the drive between, um, LA and Vegas. Like you kind of <laughs> stopped at Baker and Barstow, but not area 51. Right. Correct. Okay, so did after the the quote unquote slutty alien, um, I think that's what Summers calls her. And do we think that that's why she stole the purse? Was like it was like a revenge move? Like why do we? Think I don't she think I couldn't. I was rewatching it yesterday, and I for the first time I've seen this episode probably a hundred times. And for the first time, I was like, why did she steal the purse? I don't know why. Maybe she thought there was money in it. Yeah, that was so weird. I, I think maybe Taylor says it's like a slutty alien, but at the same time, I was like, why would she just steal a purse from under a stall? It doesn't make sense. But again, I don't really care because it led to something fun. Also, I never, and maybe I'm the the odd one out here, but I never thought they were actually having a party at Area 51 because that's like a highly like patrolled security yeah. <laughs> government area. I just thought... I know, we tried to storm yeah, it Yeah, I just thought Ryan. that it was like, oh, it's in the mm. desert. They're in Nevada. Like, it's like an Area 51-themed party, which I thought looked dope, by the way. That, that looked like a Ryan Drake dance party. Yeah, so it's just the theme. Okay. Yeah, but I just... I, th- I loved it. I thought it was a really cool, like backdrop for a scene in the OC. It reminded me of that scene in the Batman, the new Batman movie, where they kept going to these clubs. I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, that. and especially like we said, this whole, the whole charm of season four is that it's absurdist and weird and funny. Um, on a scale from one to ten, how lit would you rank that party, Ryan? I think when I was 
of the age to be watching this show, I would have been like, that's a 10. That's like the coolest possible party you could go to. Now that I'm an adult and I've been to Bonnaroo and I've DJed my own parties every month, I feel like that's like a seven, seven and a half. Well, notwithstanding the whole Area 51 conundrum, because by the way, in order to get there, once you hit Baker, you do have to drive north um, quite a ways, like half the state. So no, it's not in any way on the way. Um, notwithstanding the appropriation of alien culture, shout out Demi Lovato. Tom DeLonge. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, Tom. Demi Lovato. On a scale from, from, from one to two, the stars, um, I'm going to probably <laughs> give it a zero um, because it's not very authentic. Also, I'm not really sure what the theme was because some people were aliens and another person was dressed um, like Kid Chino from Atomic County. And so all <laughs> in all, just because of the appropriation and the lack of a coherent theme, I'm going to probably give it a 5 out of 10. Well, okay. While you mentioned Atomic County, that's another one of my questions. Um, did, that guy mentioned that he saw him at Comic-Con. Uh, did, am I just having a pregnancy brain moment? I don't remember them going to Comic-Con. You do don't you? remember the episode where Seth went to Comic-Con? No, I remember where he went. <laughs> I'm just but kidding. I didn't I'm think totally that they joking, as... Chelsea. There was no episode where Seth went to Comic Con. <laughs> no, wasn't there? Wasn't there an episode where they go as guests? Or, no, no, they, no, they, they told, they like told Big Sandy. Bang they told, they yeah, they go. told Sandy they were going because they were actually going to Tijuana when Marissa overdosed. I saw that uh, in the episode yesterday. The guy, he was like, "I'm dressed as Kichino. I saw you at Comic Con," and I was like, "I'm choosing to just." not overthink this yeah i'm like i'm choosing to just say you know what sure you go season four the oc just canon rejected (laughs) well well atomic county is a comic book and he said whoa you're seth cohen i saw you at comic-con he could have meant he saw like the atomic county booth that zach was secretly running at comic-con that's the thing though. Is like I think we talked last week or the week before that they kept that the Atomic County's come up multiple times in season four, and I think that's because they were launching the Atomic County Mobisodes during this time in two thousand seven or two thousand six, whenever this was. Oh, so it was like additional plugging. You gotta, yeah. you gotta plug the brand, which reminds me, sign up that for our non-existent sense. Patreon. That was almost your um, George Lucas voice. Gotta plug the brand. So we did talk about the guys are a little bit. They're a little bit shitty in this episode. <laughs> Like, what was the weird thing that uh, Seth, he made, like, a comment about, like, you're sure you haven't been hooking up with Taylor? Like, not even, like, you guys are both kind of, or she, you're, oh she was a little bit drunk. Gosh. Like, what I was have, that? Yeah. That was weird. That was weird. And then later on, when he's talking to Summer, he's like, oh, high five. Thank God that's not us. Which, I mean, I understand that emotion, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, also, clearly your friends are in trouble. You might not want to be that cavalier. Valid. And then, you know, Ryan kind of just being like, Oh, well, like if you were sleeping with other people, like, don't worry, I'm cool with it. Y- you know, like it, I, there was just a lot of kind of I, I may, maybe shitty isn't the right word, but maybe just like clunky. I, I don't know. Gate, what did you guys think keep? about just the guy's like, like a, reaction? A gate I thought, gaslight girl boss situation. I thought that Ryan handled everything with a lot of grace. I thought that scene with him and Taylor was was okay. fine. Like I would have the same. If my girlfriend was like, "Hey, we just started dating like a month ago, and I'm pregnant," I'd be like, "Oh, are you hooking up with somebody like before we were dating? Like, what's the what, what's the situation here? I would like to know." I feel like that's a very normal question to ask, mm-hmm. right? Um, this the Seth thing. I was weirdly like fascinated. It's not the right word. Just I guess maybe impressed that the OC hung this entire storyline of Seth and Summer on this one weird moment where Seth wants to get a high five because they're not pregnant. I think it is kind of insensitive in the moment. I also just was like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe everything that happens after this happened because of this moment. But I also fully relate, and maybe this will come up in one of your later questions, but like I also 
fully understood Summer's reaction once she had this moment in the car where she was like, how did I go from like an Ivy League Al Gore in the making to a pregnant college dropout? I was like, oh, that's that's big. Yeah, that was another kind of one of my things that I wanted to point out was that clearly not just Summer, but Taylor is also kind of dealing with, oh, my God, I had my whole future ahead of me. And I'm now I'm kind of a towny you know, drop out what's going Tony on here. divorcee, drop out kind of. Mm-hmm. So there's a note that I had that fits right in with this that I just love. And I really feel like, not not my note. I don't love my own note. I mean, I love this idea in the show that I feel like in this episode, we really see that Taylor, I feel like Taylor is being a better friend to Summer in this one episode than Marissa ever was to Summer. I agree. And it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. No, there's a, a great scene in the car where they keep saying that it's toothpaste and then Seth looks in the bag and doesn't say anything to Ryan and Taylor claims it as her own and then they're holding hands in the back seat, and Summer's telling her thank you. And I was like, this is a great friendship moment. Mm-hmm. Friendship is magic, man. So at the end of the episode, the big kind of drop that Dylan was referencing is um, when Seth does find out that it's Summer's pregnancy test that they don't know what the results are to. He proposes to her with an eyeball ring. And he's like, I want to do this before we know the test so that you know that I really want to marry you. And it's not just because you're pregnant. It's because I want to spend our lives together. And then he proposes and she says yes. But immediately after, I just got such big, uh, the graduate energy. Oh, yeah. Like, what do you guys think was going through their heads in that moment? You're totally right. I mean, the graduate energy is kind of like the perfect encapsulation of that because i mean what's the tension in in the graduate i mean the tension in the graduate is he spent all this time for this big romantic gesture and he went and he banged on the window and then she made this big gesture and decided to leave leave her fiance at the altar and then it's like yay we did it and then they're sitting in the bus and they're both kind of like okay uh shit what yeah i guess we did that now we got to live with live with it and I feel like while it's not necessarily, re- I don't see the graduate feeling as regret as much as a, oh man, what do you know? It's the results of my actions. I feel like that's the same yeah. kind of energy that Seth and Summer had. Um, I don't think it was like that he hoped you'd be pregnant, but I feel like he kind of went all in with this big grand romantic gesture and she had all of this kind of, all these, all the endorphins were running like, oh my gosh, that's so romantic. I'm so lucky to have him. And then all of a sudden everything is the same except now they're engaged. So I think it was kind of more of a whelp. It was a whelp moment. What did you think, Ryan? I've never seen The Graduate. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happens in The Graduate. <laughs> um, I think that, first of all, it was kind of a, it, it was, like, maybe it was written as a callback or a reference to Sandy ha- having had proposed to Kirsten with the plastic ring, right? We, there was an episode in season one where he has to go to the crane machine with Caleb to try and win the ring back because, oh yeah, because yeah, he proposed to Kirsten mm-hmm. with the fake plastic ring. Again, terrible radio head song. Um, this was, I think, the one, maybe the mm-hmm. one time in this whole series that Seth did arguably big arguably the right thing and i completely disagreed with it i was like you absolutely look at the test before you should like you should have looked at it before anything lie to her tell her you didn't look at it and you look at it and that's how you make your decision moving forward yeah no that makes sense i I mean they're so young they're fucking 18 years old ryan can i tell you a secret Mm -hmm. I've never seen The Graduate either. I was actually just basing my entire knowledge of it on the spoof from Wayne's World 2. Thanks, Dylan. 
the music moment of the episode has to be Smile Like You Mean It by Tally Hall. God. Cover by Tally oh. Hall. It was so um, good. That was so good. That sounds so really good to listen to like once before you like, I'd prefer the original, but it's really cool to hear it once in the context of something like this. Gave me goosies. <laughs> um, so did, uh, in, it, was it called Into Dust? What was uh, the yeah, other the song called? Yeah, the Ashtar Command cover of Into Dust by Mazzy Star that was in the previous episode. Oh, it was beautiful. I uh, don't think this is intentional, but I wanted to bring it up. I love uh, the idea of an entire episode surrounding pregnancy. Um, and the first time we see a potentially pregnant person, Summer, she's holding a rabbit. I kind of like the springtime imagery there. Um, but also, I loved comparing this drive to Vegas to the season one drive to Tijuana. If you look at that, you can kind of see that Seth and Summer have grown quite a bit. As opposed to being incredibly annoying, they're just simply lying to one another. Um, so I think, I think that's progress. I don't really know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, everybody don't lie to your significant others. It was weird that they touched on pregnancy in this episode, which is normal for a show like this to do. It just felt a little jarring for them to just be talking about pregnancy. But then also when Summer took the pregnancy test, they were like afraid to look at it. And then as soon as the timer hit zero, they just throw it in the purse. Like, don't look at it. I was like, that's weird. Yeah. That's never what someone would do. So I, when I was watching it, I didn't pick up that they threw it in the purse and I, for a second, thought that the alien just stole the pregnancy test, which is a much more fascinating episode to me. All right, Chelsea, bring it home. Yeah. So the only thing left that we have to cover this episode is um, the kind of B storyline of uh, Ju- it's mostly about Julie, Frank and the bullet and a little bit of Kate. Dylan, how, how shocked were you at the end? I, I, I guess that's the main thing I want to know is like. Because Dylan is, has not been living under a rock. Me and Ryan had no idea that Dylan had never seen the, the fourth season. So we've been making Kevin Sorbo jokes, um, you know, since we started doing this. So, like, when did you, like, what what was, I guess, what, what all were you thinking as you watched this episode, Dylan? So I knew, I've known for a long time that Sorbo is his dad, even before we started this podcast, just I think because I exist in a time and in a world where magazines and media and the internet exist. And you live in a at society. Some point, mm-hmm. I live, we live in a society and I, uh, I did, I think at one point see, you know, Ryan's dad, but the big tension for me was who was going to discover it and how it was going to be discovered right at the outset. First of all, of course he's associated with the bullet. I, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know what he does, but I love that. I love that as an intro. Um, because the bullet mm-hmm. is such kind of a lovable nincompoop, and I, but I feel like he's the kind of lovable nincompoop that can be surrounded by pieces of crap. Um, I don't know if, 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 if Frank is necessarily a piece of crap. I don't blame someone based on their rap sheet because, you know, we, we don't judge Ryan because of his past infractions. But all I know is that reveal at the end was so well done where you're going through the crimes yeah. you're going through the crimes. It was almost like a Kaiser Sose kind of thing. I was going to say that, sorry, I was going to say that like the music moment of this episode was the, to the cover of Smile Like You Mean It. it I was thinking about making it that scene, just the score. It was just the score of the show was so good oh, yeah. and it built mm-hmm. up so much good tension that even though I knew exactly what was coming, I was like, damn, this is really good. And just like from, from a filmmaking perspective, I feel like the scene would have totally gone off different and would not have been as effective if 
if Sorbo had said, I'm Ryan's father before Sandy closed it. I feel like that was perfect because, you know, Spielberg has this thing in Jaws where he shows you a scary image and then right when your brain processes it, then the music comes in and the sting comes. And that's what makes it so scary. And I feel like what this did is it showed you the name just long enough for you to go, wait, why is that familiar? And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm Ryan's father. And it was just so well done. It was such a good one-two punch. Also, I felt like the um, in the way that the show has weird plot pivot points, like, I'm done having sex with Julie Cooper. Like, that's so random and dumb. Yeah. But, like, and this could have been that when Sandy's just, but Sandy's, that's, the, I don't know, like, that thing with Sandy is so, like, relatable where you're like, I know that person from somewhere. Who is that? And then you go and like, and we would just go look them up like on Facebook or something. He goes to a file, yeah. but I was like, that's so relatable that it's not the same as those other weird things. Like this is another weird way to like continue the plot in this way, but it's relatable. So I don't hate it. Two questions about that. So, well, not it's one question, but with two options. Do we think he has that file because he was just looking up everything he could on Ryan for the adoption? Or did he have that file because he had represented Frank in the past? Well, we know the answer to that, I think. But um, I think it's just okay. because he knew he had to know everything there was to know about Ryan, I'm assuming. I mean, assuming if you adopt someone at some point, yeah. you're going to look up their parents, right? True. And he might have been looking it up whenever, right before he graduated or whatever. Uh, while we're on Sandy, the reason why he got out of that party and like his excuse to leave Kirsten was he was like, oh, I'm going to go check and see if Daryl made it to the shelter. And Daryl's in the Christmas episode, yeah. too. So now we've had Daryl the homeless guy That's in several of the Darryl. episodes. Yeah, I love it. Darryl. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a fun, um, again, it's, it's like big last season of Seinfeld energy where they're calling back really really fun things that you you know makes it special i liked the um the whole storyline with kaylin bullet julie and frank as far as like it could have gone on way too long caitlin thinking that her mom was gonna go sleep with some random guy just for no reason i feel like they did a good job of being like she's like just trust me that's not what you think it is just trust me and then caitlin actually covers for her when she talks to the bullet I loved um, Caitlin and Bullet's friendship. I that thought was that great. was a highlight of the episode and the rest of the Hex season. Hex is two-step. What do you think about the Bullet um, makes Caitlin like, love and connect with him so much? He's a father mm. figure, and clearly we get a Tate reference in this, <laughs> this episode that she does not have at the moment. But Dylan, I just want to know what you think about another, episode, another full episode of the Bullet. This was probably, out of all the Bullet episodes, this was probably my favorite because we got both sides of the Bullet. Um, mm-hmm. and we got the crass kind of crazy bullet. Um, we got to see that he answers his phone by going bullet. Um, and, uh, <laughs> we also got to see the very lovable bullet, um, which, which I loved. Speaking of bullet though, one of my notes was why does Lil bullet not have a Texas accent? It's like a reverse George W. Bush kind of situation. And it makes me uncomfortable. Um, and also he just makes me uncomfortable, but the bullet is, He's he's an S tier character for sure, and I really like him. And my life is more complete because he's in it. To put it, to put it, to be frank, but not Frank mm-hmm. Atwood. I really liked that. Um, he you know he was like, oh, here's somebody to buy a dress or get you a lollipop. Like and you know gone. he he's a smart ass with Caitlyn. <laughs> no, I agree. I love that he tried to set her up with the Saudi princes. Oh, that was such a cute scene. Like yeah, she, it, she, it was also cool just because. 
you see someone kind of like bullet and you're like, oh, that guy's definitely racist. But like, he was also like, look at these fine princes, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you then, know? And then like, freaking bullet, and then uh, not bullet, um, Caitlin hits him with the, you know, they wanted to fly me out for, for prom to Saudi Arabia, but I didn't want to wear one of those clan hoods. Yeah, that like, was a uh, oh, wow. no-fly zone in 2022. Yeah. But that's uh, that's why uh, that's why Bullet and, and Caitlyn get along so well. Yeah, this came out during the Bush years. What did y'all expect? That's true. Oh my God, Dylan, we haven't oh. even got to Chris Brown yet. We ha- you haven't met Chris Brown yet. He's coming up probably next week, I think. It's coming. But yeah, other than that, did you guys have anything else in the episode that kind of stuck out to you? No, but I really liked it. I did too. I liked the Christmas it. episode more, but I like this one quite a bit as well. It's a good combination we had today. So that'll do it. That'll do it for uh, episode four of uh, Keeping Up with the Cohen, season four. Um, if you want to contact us, you can do so on Instagram at Cohen's Pod, C O H E N S P O D. Chelsea is probably posting a lot of great things over there. Um, we're halfway through the season. We haven't even set a release date yet for when we're going to start releasing these. Um, also, you can email us, Cohen'sPod at gmail.com. C O H E N S P O D. Uh, Dylan, what else can they do? Go fast. Hey, we record this podcast so we don't feel as alone. As soon as we end this Zoom, we are alone in our rooms. And uh, the only thing that can help us feel better and more connected is by getting reviews and reading reviews and ratings from you wonderful people. We've gotten one more, so thank you for listening, faceless reviewer. But please... Add yourself to the numbers. Become a disciple of the pod. That's right. Join us. Thank you. And please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. There you go. Chelsea, anything else? Nope. We'll see you guys next time. 